Father, thank you that you're a father. Lord, we honor you as father. And um, we're thankful that, that you've honored us by calling us your children, Lord. And we just thank you that, um, man, we could see you clearly with us today and forevermore, that we're your workmanship and that you are uh, always working life in us and that you're never discouraged and that you never feel um, that we're losing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Um, we'll see if we can get this to work. In, in honor of Father's Day, I wanted to talk about the faith that was revealed in, in Jesus. And you might be thinking, well, what, is, what has that got to do with Father's Day? Well, the faith that was revealed in Jesus is all about the Father, actually. That's the whole point. It, it entered into the earth to show us the Father. You can even say uh, the Father is our faith, right? It, if you really wanted to really simplify what it is we're believing, we're believing in the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings, right? And so when you think of faith, so many times we can feel a disconnect, and faith can even seem impersonal, right? But, but faith is the revelation of a person, and it's the revelation of everlasting Father with you, right? To be who He is with you and in your life. And so that's why I felt to talk about the faith of Jesus Christ, and I've talked about the faith of the Son of God a lot, and um, the more I move on, and walking with God, the more clear it becomes and the more clear what it is exactly that that faith is all about, right? And, and what it is it entered into the earth to do because it entered into the earth to manifest God as Father, everlasting Father right in our midst. So then uh, in us beholding the Father, it could call something forth in us. It could give birth to something in us. That's what it came to do, right? And so... Paul come and said that God created everything by the spirit of faith. He created everything by the spirit of faith. And so in the day God wants to bring something forth in you, he's going to send faith into the earth. So that in you beholding faith or beholding him, what will happen is, is that will give birth to something in you, namely his life and his heart, right? Glory to God. And I'm thinking of, and we talked a lot about this in the Bible study, but 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 19, says, We have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place. You ever worked at a job and told you you do well to take heed of this? We take that really seriously, right? Like you come in and get your performance review, and they're like giving you good scores, good scores, good scores, and then they come and say, you're you're not, you, take, you do well to take heed to this criticism I'm giving you. Well, the gospel isn't a criticism, but listen, if we're going to take heed of what our employers tell us about our performance, we would do more well to take heed to this more sure word of prophecy that Peter says entered into the earth as unto a light that shines in a dark place. Listen, 
When you're feeling tormented, when you're feeling weak, when you're feeling overwhelmed, when you're feeling confused, when you're feeling fearful, all that is like a picture of you dwelling in darkness. And when you're dwelling in darkness, do you know what you need? The light. And so Peter comes and says, listen, we have a more sure word of prophecy that we would do well to take heed of considering that we're walking through a valley that's shadowed by death. Because this more sure word of prophecy is a light that shines in the, in the dark places until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Now, prophecy is an, an, interesting, an interesting word, right? We can have a lot of thoughts about, but prophes- about what prophecy is. Prophecy is divine utterance. It tells a story. It tells a story about the divine. That's what it's meant to do. Prophecy isn't just like something where you come and say, well, I see, brother, you're going to get a haircut next week at this salon. It's not fortune telling like we think of fortune telling, right? Prophecy is first and foremost with the intent to tell the story of the divine or to tell the story of God, right? And we call it a testimony when we stand up and give a testimony of ourselves or our life. Well, I'll quote the verse again later, but Revelation 19.10 says that Jesus is the testimony of God and Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So Jesus is God himself standing up to tell us about his life and tell us about himself. And so that's what prophecy is. It's a divine utterance. It's God telling his own story. And I promise you, there's a million people in the world telling God's story. They are. But we have a more sure word of prophecy. When you look it up in the Greek, the word prophecy is defined as a spokesperson or interpreter for a deity. A spokesperson or interpreter for a deity. So prophecy interprets the heart of God. That's what it does. It's like a testimony about God that explains his heart so that you can know God. It's interpreting the heart of God in your midst to explain God to us. It's a calling forth of the things of God. It's the way God would call forth what's in his heart by him coming and revealing himself. Because I promise you, when you see God there, you're going to think something. You're going to feel something. And it says, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when you see into the heart of God, there's no ambiguity. There is no, I don't feel anything. There is no, I don't see anything. There is no, I don't have anything to say. When you see God unveiled in your midst, it's going to produce something in your heart. And out of your heart, your mouth will say something. When you see God. So that's what prophecy comes to do. It comes to testify of who and what God is in order for God to call forth something in you by showing him, showing you himself. When Adam, when Eve was taken out of the side of Adam and Adam saw Eve, man, it spoke something to him. And we've all heard it funnily said in church over all the years that when Adam saw Eve, he said, whoa, man. You know, because it says he's walking around looking for someone that was like him, someone he could share his life with, and there's no one that looked like him. The dog is nice. I love Liza Jane, and I love you, Laley. 
I really do. I probably have a little crookedness with that respect. Like, I probably like those dogs a little more than I should. I don't say it's evil, but I can see, you know, that maybe I'm able to receive some pain concerning their life I I maybe shouldn't feel. And I talk to those those dogs. And I even think God explains those dogs' life to me. Right? Like one of, one of my dogs, Eulalie, no matter how much she eats, she's always hungry. And she, she goes in there and sits in the kitchen and her eyes get all big and she sits there like she's dying. Something I've learned about myself, I can't st- stand seeing anything in pain. Whether it be people, whether it be animals, whether it be my, my wife's the worst. I can't stand seeing anything in pain. So I'm trying to be the perfect father to this little dog. And she just ate like an hour ago. And she even gets a treat after she eats. We're not starving this dog. We even feed this dog three times a day. And this dog, an hour later, is in the kitchen. Her eyes are all big and she's sitting there. Am I ever going to eat? You start to get angry. Because you start to feel like it's a testimony that you're not a good father. Won't this dog ever be content? And one day God said, well, Greg, you know why the dog is doing that? Because the dog lived in a house with a bunch of other dogs. And it was a little dog, and some of the other dogs were big dogs. And they ate all the food. And have you ever thought that maybe the dog never got to eat as much food as it, as it wanted to because all the other dogs were whooping down all the food first? And so when Adam saw Eve, it brought something out of his heart. It called something forth in him. That's what prophecy is about. It's God testifying of himself in our midst. And it, what it, it's going to elicit a reaction in our heart. It's going to elicit a feeling, a thought in our heart. And out of that, it's going to draw something forth out of our mouth. That's the reason why it's there. It's a calling forth of the things of God and what his will is. Okay? Now listen, Peter says we have a more sure word of prophecy. So... In order for there to be a more sure word of prophecy, I know I'm not as smart as everybody else. It takes me a while to figure these things out. In order for there to be a more sure word of prophecy, you know what there has to first be? A less sure word of prophecy. (laughs) There has to be, and again, when we think of prophecy, we're thinking of an unveiling of God himself. So in order for there to be a more sure word of prophecy, they would have to first be a less sure word of prophecy. There would have to first be another word of prophecy that was also trying to unveil God, except this word of prophecy that was trying to unveil God in our midst, it's not as clear as this more sure word of prophecy. It's not a different word. It's not a different word. It's the same word, but it isn't exactly as clear as the more sure word. And if you guys didn't know this already, you probably already did. I find that Because I'm so stiff-necked, it takes me a long time to catch up to everybody. But the Old Testament scriptures is what Peter is saying is a less sure word of prophecy. That's what he's saying is the less sure word of prophecy. So there is a word in the Old Testament that is declaring God and his heart. There is a word declaring God and his heart in the law and the prophets. And if you wanted to sum up the law and the prophets, if you wanted to take the whole thing and whittle it down, to one explanation of what is this about? And I'll tell you what it's about. It's about God testifying of himself. And it's about God testifying of himself as father. But no one could see that testimony of God as father. They could see bits and pieces of it, 
but they couldn't see it real clear. And like I said, it's not as if it's a, a different word than the more sure word. It's the same word, but it's the, the difference between seeing something afar off. You can't see it as clear, right? Like I'm looking at that painting right there, and I can see some of the things in that painting. I can make out some people there. But if I go and stand close to the painting, I can make out details, facial expressions. I can start maybe seeing exactly what those people are, what they're wearing, exact, what color are their eyes, right? You can get up close. When I was in Ireland, the, the, Phelan, Phelan took me to this, this, this old... I don't even know what it would call. It wasn't, it, this isn't what it was, but I'll just use this as an example. I don't know if you guys have ever seen a sheepfold, right? Which is like a, a big brick stone wall that go, is in, encompasses around and there's just a door. Well, this thing was gigantic. It was like an old fort, I think, for like a battle. And it was really old. Well, there was one door and you would walk in that thing and the walls were high. Well, Phelan took a picture of me standing on the other inside of the thing in the doorway and he took it from the outside when you take that picture you could see me afar off in the door and you could see I'm there but you can't see the color of my eyes you can't make out whether I'm smiling you can't make out whether I'm squinting right you you can't see the the detail of my expression but you can see that I'm there and that's what it what it's like the, the less sure word of prophecy, right? When we say there's a less sure word of prophecy, I think a lot of people get confused and they think the, the word in the law and the prophets is different than the, the word that was revealed in the New Testament. And, and it's not, right? So Peter says there's a more sure word of prophecy than what we see in the law and the prophets. This is interesting for a Jewish guy to be saying that because the law and the prophets were a light unto the world, to the Jewish people. And so Peter comes and says, yeah, listen, man, the law and the prophets, we thought that was the light of the world, but now we see there's a more sure word of prophecy. And Peter describes being on the Mount of Transfiguration, and he describes seeing Moses and Elijah. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah represent the law and the prophets, right? Because Moses would represent the law, and Elijah would represent the prophets, and James and, and or John and Peter are there and they say they see Jesus, but then they saw Moses and Elijah appear there and talking with Jesus, I think it says. And then, you know, Peter and John, they, they esteem the law and the prophets so much because that's a word of prophecy. They esteemed it so much they wanted to make a tabernacle for Moses and Elijah to honor them, right? Let's honor the law and the prophets. Well, all of a sudden, God takes exception to that. Which, you know, you could think, why would God take exception to that? I mean, he likes Mo, he likes Elijah. I mean, that's the scriptures. But immediately when, when, when Peter and John wanted to make a tabernacle for, for Moses and Elijah, which would be to exalt them, that's what it would mean, to exalt them. Immediately God comes in and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. And just as he says that, just as the father of lights from heaven, Peter says, we heard that voice of excellency, the father of lights from heaven speak and say, this is my beloved son. He says, the moment we heard that, what we saw was the light of God's life, the very glory of God manifest and come pouring out of the pores of this man, Jesus. 
And then we started seeing that the law and the prophets that we thought was the light of the world, that we thought was the prophetic utterance, that we thought was the testimony of God, we start to see something different now that we have the Holy Spirit and we think back to that day when that happened because we didn't really know exactly what that meant when it happened. But now that we have the Holy Spirit, what we're seeing is that God was telling us that there's a more sure word of prophecy and we see God telling us that Jesus Christ himself is the testimony of God. And so we have a more clear or a more sure word describing God to us, by which we are living, by which we are beholding, by which we are talking and fellowshipping around. A more sure word of prophecy. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10. Revelation chapter 19, verse 10 says, And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So there it comes and says, Jesus, there's a testimony that was given in Jesus. And it isn't just Jesus, the man that spoke a testimony. It's that there was a testimony about God that was manifested in the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ. And the author of Revelation, which is John the Apostle, he comes and says that that is Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That is the testimony of God. And so do you know what the testimony of Jesus was? Because this is the Apostle John that's writing Revelation. Well, he comes and also talks about the testimony of God in 1 John, which he wrote that also. And you know what he says the testimony of Jesus was? The Father has life in himself. And the Father has given that you could have the life he has and that you could have it as a gift by him giving it to you. That's the testimony of Jesus Christ. And, you know, that testifies about something about God. It's not just supposed to be something, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, he's come to give me life. When you think of that God, the only one with life, the only one who has life in himself, and you have to understand, if he's the only one that has this life, you have to start understanding how precious and rare this life is. Think about if you had the only coin that was ever made, or the only stamp that was ever made, or the only comic book that was ever made. We collect things. You know why we collect things? Because we think they're rare. Now imagine this guy is the only one who has life. Now start thinking of what does this guy think of me and who is he to me? What is he to my life if he's come and drawn near to me to give me that thing that he's the only one who has? He's come and give it to me as a gift and he hasn't asked me for anything. That's supposed to start describing something to you about God and who and what he is to you who and what he thinks he is to you, and how he sees you in his own heart. And so Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. He's the more sure word of prophecy. And what it is is a testimony about God. And that testimony about God is supposed to bring something forth in people where they're believing on God. As, John, as the, the being that's talking to John says, worship God the person. Don't fall down at my feet. Worship God. For Jesus Christ is the, the testimony of God. He's the spirit of prophecy. And we see in him that it's all about the Father is the life giver. Right? He's the spirit of prophecy. You guys following me? Galatians chapter 3 verse 19. 
even if you're not following me, I'm going to take you somewhere, right? Because I'm going somewhere, and since you're here, you'll be there with me wherever I go. <laughs> Funny how that works. Galatians 3.19 says, Wherefore then serves the law? It was added because of transgressions, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given, which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture has concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. That's Galatians 3.19 through 23. You can write it down, you can go and read them, and you can go back and listen to this message and listen to what we're talking about, and it'll help you in your own time um, with the scriptures. So Paul says that the law was given until the promised seed would come. And he says the reason it was given was to point to, to faith towards God. He says it was given to shut people in to the faith that would later be revealed in Jesus. That's what he says there. Now, why would Israel, why would people need to be shut in by the faith? Because that's why the law was given. And I find it's an, important, it's an important detail in people's hearts to understand why God gave the law. Because it's, again, testifying of God in his heart, just like everything in the scriptures is meant to do. So why would Israel need to be shut in by the faith that would later be revealed? Well, Paul says because of transgressions. He says that's why. He says in verse 19, the law was added because of transgressions. Now, I say this all the time, but I'm just going to keep saying it. You guys, we all have a dictionary in our hearts. And I, when I said that word transgression, not one of you thought, well, what does transgression mean? Every one of you already think you have an idea of what transgression means. Right? And so the law was given because of transgression. And the way most of us have been taught in modern day Christianity, the way I was taught, the way people have been taught for centuries now, is that transgression is talking about bad behavior. Like the works of the flesh. That you were doing some bad things, you were stealing, you were gossiping, and now the law came to tell you that you're a loser or that you're a bad boy, that the law was like a spanking. But I just got to tell you that that's not the meaning of transgression. Transgression there isn't talking about the works of the flesh. The law was not given because we were committing the works of the flesh. We were committing the works of the flesh, but the works of the flesh is the fruit that is produced from a certain root. And so the law was given to deal with the root that was producing the fruit. It wasn't given to point at the fruit and now condemn people for the fruit because God knows that it's the vine that produces the fruit. He knows it's the seed. He knows it's not the branches. And he knows you're the branch. So in the day he finds the branch bearing the fruit of death, he's not going to come and give something and condemn the branches for the fruit it's bearing. He's going to give something that can take an ax to the vine and take an ax to the root that the branches are braided into so that through that happening they can be delivered from the fruit of death and so transgression is talking about committing adultery on God 
The law was given because mankind had committed adultery on God. Well, how do you commit adultery on God? You should ask yourself that question. How do you get that right? Because God is spirit. And so how do you commit adultery on spirit? Jesus says, now it's come the time for the true worshipers. And they will worship God in spirit, even in truth. And so the way that you would be intimate with God is you would be intimate with the truth that he is your father. That he's the only one who has life. And he is with you to be your food for life. He is with you to prepare a table of life for you. He is with you to serve you with life. And that's how you would have intimacy with God. That's how you would worship God. Well, do you know how you would commit adultery on God? Is you would look to something else and be intimate with something else to serve yourself with life. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. This is Paul talking again. Verse 12, 13, and 14. He says, wherefore... As by one man sin entered the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned, after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So listen, Adam brought death into the earth. How did Adam bring death into the earth? He looked to his own strength to try to produce life. He said, I'm going to have the life that God has, but I'm going to have it apart from God. I'm going to have it by my own strength. That was Adam's transgression. Well, Paul come and says, everybody else also committed the same transgression. But the transgression isn't the, in the likeness of Adam's in the sense that everybody else that lived after Adam, none of them planted death into the earth. Do you see what I'm saying? But they still sinned nonetheless. And so death was reigning over mankind because we were looking to the strength of our flesh to produce life. Instead of seeing God was the father of our life, that's committing adultery on God. So the law was given to reveal God to us so that we would find something where we said, our maker is our husband. And instead of lying or fornicating with the works of our own hands, trying to produce the fruit of God's life, we would be led away from our adultery on God. And we would start to see, wait a second, God is our husband, meaning God is the one that we will be intimate with that will produce life in us. And that's why it says, sing ye that we're barren. Why were you barren? You were barren because you were fornicating with your own works, trying to decorate yourself in life. And now you see God there with you, that he's there to be your husband, that he's there to be intimate with you, that he's there to father life in you. And you start to see, whoa, glory to God, because now you know you're not going to be barren anymore. Right? This is why the law was given. Because we went a whoring after other gods, is what it says. It means we tried to produce life by the works of our own hands. The law was given to show us God with us, to give us life by the work of his hand. Okay? So the law contained precepts and statutes that declared judgments about the faithfulness of God. Because the reason why you'd be trying to produce life for yourself is if you didn't see God there with you to serve you with life. Right? So the law gave precepts, it gave statutes. And these precepts and statutes, we can call commandments. 
And these commandments were not orders. These commandments, these precepts and statutes were declarations or judgments that were decreeing a decree about God and about his faithfulness towards us to produce life in us free from our works. That's what it was supposed to do. That's a word of prophecy. See how it's testifying of God? And so the precepts and statutes were given to paint a picture. Those of you that like art, I know that we're so theological now, but theology, true theology, is not far removed from beautiful imagery. And so really, you could see it as an artist trying to paint a picture. And I wish we would see the law much more that way. If we could see God trying to come and paint a picture, and they were painting a picture, and do you know what the picture they were painting? God with the Israelites. They were painting a picture of God in their midst. They were painting a picture of God dwelling in the midst of them. Not just to like watch from afar, but to be their provision, to be their food for life. That's why it says he led them by a pillar of cloud by night and a, or a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Where was he leading them? Where was he taking them? And what was he doing for them while he was doing it? He was their shield and their buckler. And he was their exceeding great reward. And all the statutes and precepts were trying to show them, I am your exceeding great reward. I am your shield and your buckler. And the place that I'm taking you to, the reason why I'm dwelling in your midst, isn't just to be a distant neighbor. I mean, listen, guys, sometimes I'm so busy in life and I talk to so many people that in my personal life, I don't want to talk to nobody. And so even with my friends from high school, I'm just quiet. And my poor neighbors, they might think I'm a distant neighbor because I talk so much, I don't want to talk when I'm home. And I don't want to go out and talk in the street. I want to sit in my house by myself with my wife. That's not how God was in the midst of the Israelites. He's taking them to a place. And do you know why he's taking them there? Because he's trying to serve them with life. That's why it's called the land flowing with milk and honey. And so the precepts and judgments were trying to unveil God in the midst of these Israelites to be their food for life, to be their shield and their buckler, to be their exceeding great reward, to lead them into a place that flows with milk and honey, a place that the scripture says has houses that you didn't build, has buildings that you didn't make, has vineyards that you didn't plant. You know, all those things are trying to tell them something about God. And all those things that it was revealing about God, do you know what it was trying to bring forth in them? It was trying to bring something forth in them where they had one God, the Lord their God. And the reason why they had one God is because they didn't see themselves as not having everything that they needed. And so they didn't see any need for another God because this God that's with them called Yahweh is now giving them everything they need for life and godliness. And so it isn't a demanding that you have one God. It's an unveiling of God. And you see he's so much that you don't need any other gods. The law was added because of transgression. The law was added because we saw that we had a need for other gods. Because we didn't see this God clearly. Right? Should the law actually be fulfilled in somebody? Should it actually be fulfilled, what its intent is? It would circumcise their heart from trusting in the strength of the flesh. And do you know how it would circumcise their heart? It would circumcise their heart by showing them God with them, loving them, serving them with life. That's how it would do it. That's what it was supposed to do. But listen, 
The carnal mind is not subject to the law of God. The carnal mind can never have one God, the Lord, it's God. The carnal mind will always have lots of other gods. Do you know why? Because it can't see God there. It can't comprehend God with them. It can't see God there preparing a table in your midst. Adam did not see God preparing a table in his midst when he saw his nakedness. But the last Adam, the man Jesus, comes and he's on the cross. And do you know what he saw when he was stripped naked on the cross? He saw God there with him preparing a table in his midst. Go read Psalm 23. Day though I walk through a valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, Lord. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the midst of my enemies. Right? So that's the less sure word of prophecy, this law we're talking about. Right? Because it said all these beautiful things about God. It unveiled the love of God. But you don't see the Old Testament talking about the love of God quite like John and Paul and those guys come saying it. Because there's a more sure word of prophecy now that has clearly unveiled God as Father. That's why John would write in his gospel, no one has seen the Father but the Son. He is in his bosom, and he has come declaring him. So Paul says the law was only until faith came. It was only until faith came. Again, we think of faith and we have this distant idea of this thing that we do, but the Father is the faith. He is the faith. That's who it is. And so the law was until faith came. Romans 10 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Well, who's the word of God? Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. So faith came into the earth through Jesus. You could easily say it this way. The father was revealed in the earth through Jesus. There's a faith that's of Jesus, that's of him. Paul calls it the faith of him, the faith that came forth from him. Paul says he lives the life he has now in the flesh by the faith of the Son of God. There's a faith that came into the earth through Jesus. The reason Paul calls it, the reason it's called the faith of the Son of God is because it entered the earth by the Son of God laying down his life for us. That's why Paul come and said, the life I live now I, in this flesh, I'm still in this body, but I'm no longer living according to the word of prophecy I saw in the law and the prophets. But now I'm living by the more sure word of prophecy, which is the faith that came in the man, Jesus Christ, who loved me and laid his life down for me so that I could see the Father. Because no man can see the Father unless the Father shows up and glorifies a man with immortality. And so Paul's recognizing I could have never seen any of that happen unless the Son of God didn't come into the earth and lay down his life for me. Because the only way I could see the Father with me to raise me up out of the miry clay is if someone could lay down their life and be in the miry clay for me and the Father showed up and raised them from the dead. The Father is our faith. From now on, when you think about faith, it's fine if you think about the faith of the Son of God, the faith of Jesus Christ, the faith that came into the earth through Jesus, but start recognizing that faith is the Father himself. The faith is the Father. That 
is our faith. You know what we're believing on? The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why are we believing on him? Because of what we see he did with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we're believing on him. The, word, the faith that was revealed in Jesus is the more sure word of prophecy. The Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets, it was pointing towards faith, pointing to faith towards God. The faith revealed in Jesus is a more sure word of prophecy because it doesn't just point to faith towards God. It actually possesses the power to call something forth in people where they cry out, Abba. <laughs> How many people in the Old Testament do you see saying, Abba? It paints a clear picture of everlasting father. I, I, I can't say this enough. We get so, our intellects are nice. They're beautiful. It takes a lot of really smart people to help them misunderstand the gospel. And I, I tell you what we've had a lot of for 2,000 years now. Really smart people. Really smart theologians. And I'm not trying to disparage them as people. Because they are the sons and daughters of God also. But in their great intellectual acumen, they have deprived us of the simplicity of what the prophetic utterance is, which it's always been, God is your father and his faithfulness towards you. You can use so many different examples of language. Abraham would have heard it as that God is his shield and his buckler, his exceedingly great reward. All the prophetic utterance is trying to declare that. And so, man, we've had really smart people that have helped us cast that to the side and now start talking about all the important things we need to do. We call it the meat. I'll tell you what the meat is. The meat is that the Father has provided himself a lamb to feed you with life. And in you partaking of the body that the Father prepared for himself to lay down for you to have life, that's the meat. Jesus said his body is meat indeed. But we come into the church and we say we got to have meat. And when we talk about what we got to have meat, we got to start telling people what they need to do. You don't see that anywhere in the scriptures, but it takes a lot of really smart people to get that out of the scriptures and create doctrines for thousands of years that gets all of us trying to feed on our own strength and our own works when all the while ain't none of us offered our own body to be fed with life. God provided a lamb. You know, you eat the lamb meat, right? You know, the Israelites, the Hebrews, when they offered the lamb, did they eat the meat? And what did that meat cause to happen? Death passed over them. The destroyer passed over them, and they were delivered from the bondage of Pharaoh. Well, guess what? That was talking about God providing a lamb, preparing a body for Jesus. Jesus is his life. That in him preparing a body for Jesus, we could feed on his life through Jesus. And he could be our faith. Right? Psalm 23, and we're almost done here. Psalm 23 says we all know these verses i picked out these verses we've read a million times for a reason the lord is my shepherd i do not lack he makes me to lie down in the tender green grass he leads me beside the still waters he restores my soul he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for you are with me your rod and your staff they comfort me you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. You know why that dude said all that? It tells you in the passages, God is with me. You know what caused him to say all that? He saw God there. 
and he saw God accurately for who he was. You know, the scripture says that Jesus looked to the shepherd and bishop of his soul when he was on the cross. The shepherd and bishop of his soul. Hebrews says that he looked to the one who could save him when he was on the cross. You know, we, we're quoting the less sure word of prophecy. You shall have one God, the Lord your God. That's what that less sure word was trying to produce in somebody. Well, here comes Jesus. He had one God, the Lord his God, on the cross. He took no thought to try and nurture himself unto life with the works of his own hands. Do you know why he took no thought? That's what it would mean to have other gods. You know why he took no thought to nurture himself unto life when he was on the cross? Because he saw the Father there with him, shepherding his life. The Father is my shepherd. I do not lack. He saw the Father was there. He saw his life was hid in the Father, and he saw the Father's life was in him. And what that did in Jesus when he was on the cross, we're talking about the Son of God laying down his life for us so that faith could enter the earth. What that did was it manifested the love of the Father in him and caused him to lay down his life for the world so that in his resurrection, when the Father raised him from the dead, do you know what we would see? We could see the Father with us being good to us shepherding our lives, loving us with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength. That's how faith came. We couldn't see the Father with us shepherding our life. We couldn't see that he was there to hedge us about in himself. You know what we saw? The valley of the shadow of death. It's like trying to see God through a fog. We live in a foggy area. How far can you see in a fog? You can't see. There's something there, though, isn't it? And you can even get stressed out. You're about to back, run into somebody in the back because you can't see three feet in front of you. Well, that's where we were, not able to see the Father. But then Jesus sees the Father. And what he sees in the Father does something in him where he has one God, the Lord his God. And he has no other gods because he doesn't need any other gods because he sees the Father there as the shepherd of his life. And so now he commits his life into the hands of the Father. He lays down his life for us so that when the Father showed up and raised him from the dead, we could see the Father was with us to do the same thing with our lives. We could see the Father with us being good to us, loving us with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength, and thus faith would come into the earth. The Father would be revealed in the earth. Hmm. There's a faith revealed in Jesus Christ, in his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And like we said, it's the Father that it reveals. And this faith calls something forth inside of us. And do you know what it calls forth inside of us? Abba. Do you know why it calls forth Abba inside of us? Because when you see him there and you see the great lengths he's gone to to nurture your life and you see the great lengths he's gone to to hedge you about in himself to protect your life, to be your reward, to be your shield and your buckler. When you see the great lengths he went to that he gave his own body up to be broken so that in his body being broken, his life could come pouring out onto you. When you see he shed his own blood to redeem you from death, when you see he come and took the sting of death for you, when you start to see that, there's only one thing you could say it. It is an intellectual thing. You see a picture painted of him in your midst and you can see there's only one word that can describe this guy. It's Abba. 
and you don't have any other need for any other gods. You start to have one God, the Lord your God, because when you see him clearly, you see that you have everything that pertains to life and godliness. He is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Well, if you lack nothing, then you have no need to fornicate with your own works trying to have something. Bring something forth in us when you see the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul, blessed be the Father, the God and Father. Why does he say the God and Father? Jesus had one God, the Lord, his God. Jesus cried out, Abba. He did that so the picture of Abba could be painted in the earth. And it would bring something forth in us where we're not told we need to give up the ghost, but we give up the ghost. Because when you see God as the father you need, you'll have no other gods. You'll no longer be thinking of nurturing yourself unto life because you'll see all the nurturing you need is in him and what he's done in the resurrection. Like that song, Fear is Not Your Future, that guy Kurt comes out there and says the greatest problem in the church today is they don't believe the resurrection was enough. They don't see what's happened there. They're not evil people that are rejecting it, but they've never had it unveiled in their midst as everlasting father. So they're not beholding the faith that came in the person of Jesus. And if you don't see the faith that came in Jesus, you can't really see the father. And if you don't see the father, how will you ever cry out Abba? How will you ever find something born in you where you have one God, the Lord your God, and you're never looking for other gods? You can't. It's impossible. Try telling an orphan they don't need to care for themselves. Doesn't compute. You know why? Because they don't see someone there to care for them. You can't tell an orphan to stop trying to care for themselves and think it's going to work. Do you know what you could do to an orphan? You could show them they have a father. <laughs> and you could show them they have an inheritance that will care for their life. And then they'll no longer be trying to care for themselves. Hmm. Do you guys see that? That's some powerful stuff, man. That's what the word of prophecy is supposed to be about. This is what God has been trying to say to us. This is what he's been saying the whole time. This is what the whole law and the prophets were saying to us. We couldn't see it. We were blind. This is why the scripture calls, talks about us being blind. We couldn't hear it. We were deaf. We were deaf and blind on account of the death that entered the world, creating a thick fog to where we couldn't see God as Father. So under the law, and this is the last thing I'll say, and I thank all of you for coming here and being with me on Father's Day. I know you all have lives. We're busy people in America. Under the law, the people were meant. I don't say this is what they did. This is what was meant. They were meant to look to the statutes and the judgments and the rituals and the feast days and the Sabbaths. They were meant to look at those things to stir up faith towards God in their hearts. I think it's, it's in Ezekiel where God even says, and I will give you these Sabbaths and you will see that I am the God who sanctifies you, <laughs> right? The whole point was them looking at the Sabbath, they would see that it's about the work of God to sanctify them, right? Not about performing a ritual. And so they were supposed to look at those things to stir up faith in their heart. That's what it was under the law. 
Now, we're not under the law anymore. And what does it mean that we're not under the law? We're not looking to these rituals and feast days. We're not looking to the works of the law anymore, trying to find faith stirred up in our hearts. We live looking unto Jesus. We live looking unto the faith revealed in Jesus. And that calls forth faith in our hearts towards the Father. It doesn't demand faith. It produces faith in your heart towards the Father. We have a more sure word of prophecy. The faith revealed in Jesus has put everlasting Father clearly on display. That's the faith that entered the earth. That's our faith. We live our lives beholding the Father. That's what it means to walk by faith. That's what it means to walk in the Spirit. You live the life you have now in the flesh, beholding God with you, having shepherded your life, shepherding your life, and shall shepherd your life. You behold God with you, having hedged you about in himself. You behold your life hid in him, in him having hid his life in you. You live in this world that way. That's what it means to call God Father. Mm. Glory to God. Father, thank you. That you say when we pray according to your name, according to your will, that we shall have whatsoever we pray. Lord, we see that your will is to be known as Father. Lord, that's what we desire. We desire to see you clearly as Father in every area of our life, Lord. And we just thank you that you open up our eyes, that you, you open up our eyes that in every area of our life, you are the Father that we need, that in every area of our life, you have what we need, that your life is the answer to everything we need. I thank you, Father, that you're calling for something in us, that you come and reveal yourself to us clearly, and that we have no other gods, Lord, because we see you meeting all our needs. We see that you are enough, and we find our lives in this world shaped by the knowing that you are enough and that we have everything in you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Happy Father's Day. Thank you for coming and being with me. I love all you guys. I love... Uh, the gospel, the reason why I love the gospel, because I see how much God loves you, how much God loves me, and what this guy did to love us unto life. Hallelujah. Go and be well. <laughs>